Good evening. Welcome to Nighttime. I'm Dave Wager, your host. And for the next half hour, I hope we can calmly talk about issues that will allow us to think and go to the scriptures and talk to God and have a good conversation with him about life, truth, how we should adjust our lives. It's so good to be able to go to a Heavenly Father who loves you and made you and knows exactly what you need to do to live in a way that is successful and to die in a way that's successful as well. All we have to do is enjoy God and enjoy the people he put in our lives. Instead, we often battle with God and battle with the people, and that's not how we were made. I come to you from the studios here at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute, and I always invite you to check out their websites and see if we can be a part of your life and serve you and your family. Recently, I was reading an excerpt of a book um, about being successful and not being anxious in life and your relationships with people. And Dr. Courtney S. Warren is a PhD, a board-certified psychologist and author, and I'm not necessarily uh, saying that I agree with Dr. Courtney Warren or disagree with Dr. Warren, but so many times they say things that have me think and go to the scriptures and see if what they say is true or not. And I ponder the realities of what they say. Sometimes some of what a secular person says is true and sometimes it's completely false. And I know the only way I can really understand that or judge that is by seeing what God's Word says. So Dr. Warren has put down some points that um, Dr. Warren has put down some points that emotionally secure people actually exhibit in their relationships with one another. So I thought I'd go through some of those and look at some scripture because I think God wants us to be emotionally stable wants us to be interconnected with one another and enjoy being with one another. And so many times we seem to be battling with one another. The first point Dr. Warren makes is, can you listen to different perspectives you disagree with? Makes this point. Emotionally secure people are able to hear other points of view without reacting to them in an aggressive way. Instead of going to battle, there's a flexible, empathetic, and non-judgmental exploration of the other person's reality, even during times of conflict and disagreement. I find that interesting, especially when they talk about the other person's reality. Because I, as I look at the Bible, think there's only one reality, and that's how God sees things. I realize that my perspective locks me into a reality, but My reality may be perspective-generated and not necessarily reality. It's my reality in that I don't know anything else. But I can actually get out of my perspective by going to the Scriptures and seeing what God says and readjusting my life according to what He says because He's always going to be right. Oh, I'm not disputing the point that Dr. Warren makes. Can you listen to different perspectives you disagree with? I think healthy people can do that. 
And I don't think that we live in a very healthy time because when somebody disagrees with us, we take it personal. We don't realize the role that perspective plays in life. And perspective does play a role. If I talk about the importance of being committed in marriage and I'm talking to a young person who has only seen abusive behavior between spouses and abusive behavior to siblings, they don't really understand what I'm talking about and cannot fathom the idea of being committed to one another. What we need to do is back up that bus a little bit and talk about the way God intended things to be and realize that it's not always that way. And that when I say that one of the greatest pleasures of life is being committed to somebody for life, I'm saying that in the context of what God has said about relationships and families. So in a way, that's a perspective. And I do have a perspective where God doesn't. I know some of you keep thinking, well, God does have a perspective. He sees everything from perfection, and that's a perspective. But it really isn't, if you think about it. It's really he sees everything the way it really is, and he talks about everything in the way that it really is. So there's no perspective there. That's why we go to him, because you and I are locked into perspective. Well, I think that emotionally secure people are certainly able to listen to different perspectives. And we realize that every human that we've ever talked to is living in, in, in some kind of perspective, and so we respect that. But we also know that the answer to life, no matter what perspective, no matter where you are in the world, no matter what you're going through, is to know Christ and to make him known. In Proverbs 18.13, it tells us that if one gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame. So often, we are waiting for somebody we disagree with to be quiet so we can outdo them, so we can tell them what they really need to know. See, we need to be able to listen to each other. Even when we disagree, understanding that perspectives are there and that Really, the other person in their perspective sees their world as a reality. And in that particular understanding, we can begin to respond in a way that doesn't create tension or anger. We need to listen, even if we disagree. James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Good advice. And it's not really advice. It's the way it should be. Let every person be quick to hear, to try and understand what the other person is saying, even from their perspective, and realize that they do have one. And that they may not know any reality other than the perspective they're sharing with you. If you talk to some young people today, they don't think that marriage can ever be something that's stable for life because they've never seen it. They've never understood that it could be, and those around them have always said that it can't be. What they need to do is see a marriage that is stable. They need to see it the way that God intended it to be. They need to see what commitment looks like. We don't need to argue with their perspective. Their perspective is their perspective. 
We need to live in a way that demonstrates reality the way it should be, not reality the way it is. The second thing that Dr. Warren talks about is can you set healthy boundaries? Emotionally secure people are those that understand that there are boundaries. I like the idea of boundary. Boundary is something that uh, protects you in many ways. I heard a message series once called Guardrails, and this message was talking about the importance of guardrails on a road. Now, the guardrails aren't there for you to try and get through. They're there to warn you that there's a dangerous edge there, and if you get too close to it, you're going to bump it, and you're going to need to go back to the center. Guardrails are put where there are dangers. So they're setting a boundary for you and allowing you to still use the road, but to use it in a safe manner. I think our lives need to have boundaries if we're going to be healthy people. Boundaries in many areas. We need to have boundaries in the friendships that we have. We need to have boundaries in the food that we eat, the exercise or lack of exercise that we have putting up guardrails so that we understand that there are things that are very harmful and we need to remind ourselves that it can be harmful uh, if we're going to be healthy. Not anything can be participated in and be considered good. Emotional security, according to Dr. Warren, is associated with knowing yourself and setting limits based on your values. The way I would change that is based on what God says and based on what his word says, because it's true. Dave Wager's values could be wrong. I could value something I shouldn't value. In fact, I could love something that I should use, and I could use something I should love. So I have to be careful when I start just thinking of Dave Wager and his world and his perspective. I really need to think in terms of loving God and loving one another, and how does that look? And things that could keep me from that are things I need to stay away from. James 1, 19 to 21 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James one nineteen to 21 If I look here, I can put up some guardrails. I need to learn to be quick to hear, slow to speak. I need particularly to learn that because I'm usually quick to speak and slow to hear. I have to realize that when somebody's talking to me, they are talking to me from a perspective, a reality that they understand all too well. I'm not necessarily saying their reality is the reality they should be involved in, but I need to hear what they're saying. And James is telling me, that's a guardrail in your life. Be quick to hear. Do you have guardrails in that way in your life? Are you somebody who wants to understand what somebody else says? Or do you want people to immediately know what you're thinking if they're talking? The minute you're trying to fill a space with words before they're even finished, 
means that you're not interested in what they're saying and you're certainly not trying to grasp their reality. Once again, I'm not saying their reality is correct. It's just their reality. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I think those things go together. If you're quick to hear, you're actually trying to understand what the other person is saying. And if you actually are trying to understand what they're saying, you're slow to speak because you're listening carefully and you're thinking about it and pondering it. And if you're actually slow to speak, you're probably slow to anger because you've begun to understand their life a little bit more rather than looking at it from the outside all the time. Not only that, verse 20 says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. My anger doesn't fix anything. I can get angry at people and actually make it worse than it should be. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. I need to get in God's word and know what's right. And if I'm going to argue about anything, I guess it would be that God is right, that God is love, that you need to know what he says. I don't need to be right in other areas. I have opinions. Everybody has opinions. But opinions actually should be based on something other than just my own thought process. For example, I could have an opinion about what a doctor should do when he removes an appendix. But I'm not sure that you should listen to my opinion because I have no training in that area and I've never really thought about it very much. It doesn't mean that I don't have an opinion. It means that my opinion is probably not worth listening to. Even saying that will bother some people that I would say that an opinion isn't worth listening to, but that's always a valid thing to think about. I just learned to weld, and I'm a very poor welder at this point. In fact, I've only welded during the time the instructor was teaching me. I would not listen to me pontificate about welding. Not now. Maybe many years from now, if I could get some projects done, if I could get over there and weld and do things and make a successful run at it, perhaps. But now, I would ask somebody who has welded in life how to weld. I would ask them for their opinion. I think all across the board, that's been a tough thing because we can academically understand things, so we think we can talk about them with experience, but. In some areas, that's possible, but in many other areas, it's not. I'm an old football player. I played football in high school, and I played football in college. I like watching football. A lot of times when I'm watching, I'm somewhat quiet. But I'm listening to people talk, and as they talk, I'm thinking, you probably never played. Now, it's not that they don't have an opinion, and it's not that their opinion isn't worth sharing, I guess, said I'm not sure what their opinion is based on. Is it based on what somebody else has said? Is it based on just reading about football? Is it based on, see, my opinion on football is from the years I played, the position I played, the things that I understood about the game. And so I think that there is a valid opinion there because of the experience that I've had in life. 
Now, am I right in what I think? I would never say that. But my opinion has something behind it because of the years that I played. When we go to God, we need to understand that he has been around forever and ever and ever. He has no beginning. He has no end. He also has no opinion. When God says something, it's kind of like he has no perspective. He has no opinion. When God says something, it's not an opinion. It's an absolute. So we go to him and we meekly, humbly come to him, realizing that Whatever he says is true, and if my life doesn't match it, then it's my life that's wrong, not God. See, I think when we look at others, we think, you're wrong, I'm not wrong, because my reality matches what I think. So we don't even admit that we've got perspective. So many times, in fact, this morning I came to God and said, God, you're God, and I'm, I'm not. That immediately put me in a different mind frame. I know I need to put a guardrail up where I'm quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Because when I get angry, it just destroys things. It doesn't help anything. Proverbs 25, 16 and 17 says, If you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit. It's an interesting verse. If you found honey, eat enough for you, but only enough for you. Because if you eat too much, you're going to throw up. Put a boundary on that. It's a good thing, but put a boundary on it. Verse 17, let your foot seldom be in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. (laughs) That's an interesting passage. It's telling us in our lives, both in the food areas and And in other areas that could be excessive, we should not be excessive. We should have some boundaries put in place. We weren't given all that honey so that we eat it all at once. Likewise, as we visit with people, you can become their enemy by overstaying your welcome. You have some boundaries there. Can you set boundaries in your life? Do you have healthy boundaries? Do you have healthy boundaries with Budgets, perhaps, and what you do with your money, your time. Do you have healthy boundaries with how you spend time with friends? Do you have healthy boundaries in all your relationships? Do you have healthy boundaries in your own personal behavior where you're quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger? That those are the qualifications you're looking at when you're listening to somebody because you really want to listen to them. Certainly healthy people do set boundaries. They're not legalistic people. They're smart people. Because boundaries are there to help us stay on the road without distraction. The third thing that was mentioned by this author is, can you admit when you're wrong? I think that's obviously an important thing for anybody to be able to do, is to be able to say, I'm wrong. Now, that's an interesting Item In the Bible, it tells us in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're told if we confess our sins, God hears us. It's admitting our sin. 
It doesn't mean everything in the future is going to be okay. It means that we have to admit our sin in order to get to the point where we can do something about it. Anybody knows that if you're an addict, an alcoholic, or whatever it might be, the very first step is to admit that. See, that's the admitting you're wrong. It's it's saying, no, I shouldn't be an alcoholic. I shouldn't be drinking like that, or I shouldn't have this drug. Or, Or if you're greedy, you need to be able to say, I am greedy, and know that it's a wrong thing. There's no possible way to be healthy and not admit when you're wrong. And we all are wrong in something. That's why we have this thing, perspective, remember, where we see things and it becomes our reality. But our reality may be reflecting something that's not good for us because it's not how God designed it. So we go to God, who is the ultimate reality. We go to God, who has no opinions. We go to God, who has no perspectives. And we see what he has to say about something. And as we do that, we begin to live our lives in the manner that they're meant to be lived. God knows that we're not perfect, so I don't need to pretend that I am. In fact, he sent his son while I was still a sinner to die on the cross for me. But I could live forever with him. It's important for me to know that God isn't expecting perfection out of me. He sent perfection for me to die for me. And when I do something wrong, the very first step is to acknowledge that I did wrong and that God doesn't think anything less of me when I do wrong. You and I can't go through life doing right all the time. You might say that sounds like a cap out. Well, I'm I'm not saying that we should plan on doing wrong, but when we try things, when you try something new, I promise you'll not be really good at it, and I promise you're not going to do everything right, right away. When I learned to use a chainsaw, I didn't always do everything right. I made mistakes. When I learned to drive, I made mistakes while I drove. Now, if I was so afraid of making a mistake, I would never drive. If I was so afraid of making a mistake with a chainsaw, I would never start the chainsaw. I would never go out and cut wood. You see, there are times where you're new at something, and being new at something means that you spread your wings a little bit and try, and there are things that aren't going to go well. What you need to do is go, well, that didn't work. Now, once you admit that, you can go back and do something different. You know, when two people get married and they've never been married before, I promise you there'll be times where in your marriage you'll go, boy, that didn't work. This isn't working because of perspective and because of your own reality clashing with another reality. And you have to make now a reality together. And the best thing to do is to go to the scriptures and find out what the reality is really all about and adjust your lives accordingly. But we have to be in the habit where we can say we did something wrong. And when we do that, we're okay. Because in that particular process, we can begin to rebuild what we need to rebuild and get good at what we weren't good at before. If we confess our sins to one another, James 5.16 says, and we pray for one another, then we're healed. 
Let me read that verse to you. James 5, 16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Confess your sins to one another. You know, anybody that you see today as a sinner, anybody that you talk to, has done things that they shouldn't do. See, so that's not a surprise. If you're waiting to have everybody in your life perfect around you, you're going to wait forever and it's never going to happen. God already knows that. What we talk about at nighttime is thoughts that can help us get our lives in line with the reality that God gives to us. Now, God makes it so that you and I know that we've done wrong. We can confess that, and we're not going to be depressed and angry over it. We're going to confess it. We're going to realize, like Psalm 103 says, that he separates our sins as far as the east is from the west, and we're going to go on. Healthy people know that they've made mistakes. They admit those mistakes, and they go on. And that's what you and I need to do. Psalm 32.5 says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Very simple. The fourth item that this author talks about, if you're healthy, says, do you know your core values and beliefs? They say that it's important that you know your core values and beliefs, and I would agree. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think of these things. In order for that to happen, you need to know what true is. See, I think that I would differ how I would say this, not just know your core values and beliefs, but know what the core values are in life and believe in the truth. I can't just believe in anything and adjust my life to it and expect my life to be okay because if I believe something that's not true, I'm going to be miserable. I need to know what truth is. If I believe that I can live at the bottom of a lake and breathe and exist and do everything I need to do down there and just enjoy life, I'm wrong. I need to live where there's air to breathe. My belief system needs to be in line with the way that I'm created. My belief system needs to be in line with reality. And if it's not, I'm going to be in trouble. So I need to adjust my belief system to reality. I wouldn't just say, know your core beliefs and know your core values, but to know God and to know his word and to know how he created you and to adjust your life according to it. Because the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, 8 says, you want to be successful in life, you need to focus on whatever's true. So there is a true, a right, a wrong. You need to focus on whatever's honorable. What is honorable? So you need to go into the scriptures and see what God talks about because there are things in life that are honorable and we need to focus on those. Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, that's what we think about. Philippians 4.8 would be a great verse to 
have pop up on your computer or your iPad or your television before you look at anything. Why? Because it gives you direction. I think people are miserable today because they don't know what true is all about. They don't know there is a truth. They think that whatever they believe is true. I'm sorry, that's just not absolute. I'm not saying you don't have a belief system. I already talked about opinions and beliefs. They're based on something. But there is an absolute truth. And if your belief system, your core values, your opinions are based on just your feelings or your emotions, then I think it's not going to work well for you. We need to go to the scriptures and know God and adjust our life according to what he says. And when we do that, we'll be okay. I would summarize healthy people as those who know God and love those around them. I think that's what God described in his word. Loving God and loving people is why we were created. We go to God for truth. We go to his word for truth. We don't make it up. And we respond to the truth as if it is true because it is. Well, I'm Dave Wager here in the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolet Bible Institute. I invite you to check out the Nicolet Bible Institute or if you have a college-age young person or a little older at home that's looking for something to do in the summer, go to silverbirchranch.org and apply to be with us throughout the summer serving young people who come on these grounds. Thanks for spending the time with me tonight. Good night for now.